I want to go ahead and jump into our text this morning. And so I'm going to have Gary Stamps come up, and he's going to read for us out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Church, if you would please stand with me out of respect for God's word as Gary reads for us this morning. Yes. Good morning. It's Darren said our scripture this morning is Colossians 3, verses 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Colossians 3, 18 to 21. Thank you, Gary. Church, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, I want to pray here in just a minute, but uh, first I, I want to just apologize and the reason I'm apologizing is because if you go on to our app and you look at the different outline that I had planned for uh, this sermon, uh, you're going to find that I probably don't fi- follow that outline. And, and here's the reason why. Um, God, as I woke up this morning and started praying about uh, what I wanted to share and what I wanted to communicate this morning, uh, I felt very, very strongly that he was telling me to do something I didn't want and I, frankly I still don't want to do. Uh, which is to deviate away from my notes and some of the planned preparation of things that I have, which is really hard because there's a safe place in your notes and well-thought-out ideas, like, right? Like, there's a safe place in that. Um, but I, I just felt like the Lord was saying, no, don't do that this morning. Just, just trust me and just speak from my spirit and through my spirit. And so um, uh, that's why we may not follow uh, the outline. Uh, nonetheless, if... I'm going to lead some scriptures that I know that, that are going to be there. And so if the slide team is slow in getting those scriptures up, it's my fault. It's not theirs. All right. So uh, just make sure that you know that. But I just wanted to say that as I uh, go in and as I just start with a word of prayer. So would you just pray with me? Father, this is not an easy topic. And even this morning when you were um, just laying on my heart, this, the, 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 feeling that I just needed to share what was on my heart and what I felt like is on your heart. Uh, you, you know the, the conversation we had. And so I recognize this morning that I am not sufficient for this task. I, I, am not, I do not have the words that eloquent enough or wise enough to communicate what you want to communicate to your people. And yet, you've called me to stand here this morning and to speak your word. And, and so I just pray, Father, in front of all of these people that, that, Lord, you would just speak through me, that you would speak in spite of me, that you would use your words, that, that it wouldn't, nothing that I say this morning would be my words, but they would be yours. And so, Father, I need your spirit to lead me, to guide me this morning, but I also cry out to your spirit to do a work in the lives of the people that are here this morning listening, those that are here in this room, as well as those that are listening online. And so, Father, I, I just pray that you would be present here this morning and, and ask for your help in all things. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So, as I was thinking about this this morning, uh, I love the picture that we have chosen for uh, this sermon series. And, and I don't know that they'll throw it up here in a second. It's um, up there right now, but maybe you've seen it. But uh, it's a picture of Paul. And, and the reason why I love this picture is because it reminds us of the reality of what Paul is actually doing in this letter to the Colossians, right? Like, Paul is a man, just like we are, but he is in prison, chained in prison in Rome, and he is writing to a group of people in whom he loves. And here's why this is important, because Paul is not a revolutionary. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's not trying to make some sort of a social commentary on the world in which he lives. He is trying to be faithful to the Word of God and faithful to the calling that God has given to him to communicate to the people of Colossae how they can live in accordance with God's plan for their lives. And the reason why this is important is because we hear uh, the words that Paul writes in Colossians, and we just need to be real honest with the fact they can easily rub us the wrong ways. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. These are not easy things for us to talk about in our day and age. They're not. And it's important for us to recognize that 
that when Paul's writing these things down, he's not trying to address some sort of first century feministic movement that's happening in Colossae. Right? That's not what he's trying to do. Like that, that wasn't happening in the first century. Paul's not trying to change the cultural perception. Paul is recognizing that there is relational carnage all over the place because of one thing and one thing alone, the fall. Sin. Every single person in this room, every one of us, has experienced and is in the midst of experiencing some form of relational challenge because of sin in us. Right? Like, this is a reality. And as I thought about communicating this and and what I want to share this morning and what I felt like the Lord was planning and putting upon my heart was to remind us of a couple of things. One, like I know that no marriage in this room is perfect. No marriage in this room is exactly where we all want to be. We all want to continue to grow. We all have varying degrees of struggle. None of us are perfect. And yet at the same time, here's what I know. You're not going to walk out of this morning with some magic bullet that's going to instantaneously fix everything in your marriage. Now, I pray that we walk out of this morning with some true uh, principles that we can begin to walk down a journey and a road of difficulty when it comes to trying to bring what God wants in our relationships with our spouses and in our families. Secondly, like I want to say this, like if you're not married this morning, All of these principles are just as important and just as pertinent to every relationship you have. Every one of them. Not only within your workplace and your schools, but also within the church as God has called us to engage with one another and to love one another and to care for one another. Paul is trying to help the people of Colossae, and I think he's trying to help us as well, reimagine what the world as it, as it should be, what the world should be, what it should look like, what God intended it to be. He's trying to speak into things where the sin has come and twisted and broken and created all kinds of challenge and havoc and, and carnage in our lives. Our dysfunctional relationships. And listen, there is a lot of visions about what relationships should look like in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of visions in TV and social media and all kinds of different places. Every time you turn on a commercial, there's a vision and a narrative of what a relationship should look like in regards to even whether it should be between a man and a woman or two men or two women, right? Like constantly giving us some vision of what a relationship should be. There's a constant reminder for us in our culture as the culture tries to tell us what a biblical man should be, or not a biblical man, but what a man should be, or what a woman should be, and how a woman should function in the world, or how a man should function in the world. Let me just ask this question. How good is the world doing at giving us a vision for relationships? Is the world doing a good job? Like it's a disaster. And yet we keep finding ourselves listening to the world. And what Paul is saying is no, stop it. Don't listen to the world. Listen to me. Listen to me. And so I want to talk this morning about a couple of different things. We want to help us to see what relationships should be like and what they can begin to look like. None of them are going to be perfect until Jesus comes back. But we can all make steps to see those relationships grow and all make steps to see that engaged in our lives. And that comes by a couple of different ways. One, we have to recognize our default sin nature which Paul's commands here in Colossians illuminate inside of us. Right? All of the relational challenges that we experience, they're a result of sin nature in us, the default in us, how we relate to people, how we see people, how we engage people. It's all there based on our sin nature. But Jesus has come. Amen? And so we need to see our 
our, our default nature, and then we need to recognize Jesus is the example that's been given to us, not only the example uh, to help us see how he and how we're to relate to one another, but how we're to relate to God, and how Jesus has reconciled us back to God, and now given us a perfect picture of what every single relationship should look like. And then, after we see what Jesus has given to us, we can begin to reimagine we can begin to see a vision for what restored relationships can look like. And some of you all in this room are dying to see restored relationship in your home, in your life. And that's hard. And before I jump into specific topics and specific things here, I want to remind us of a couple things. One, I don't want you to get smarter today. Giving you intellectual information about relationships isn't the goal today. If you don't take what God's word is calling us to and begin to try at some level to apply that to your life, it's a complete waste of time to just hear me speak a bunch of intellectual knowledge. That's not the goal. So I, I want to see you step into that. And it's hard. That's why you need people around you because it's, it goes against every part of us to step into these things. Secondly, I also want to speak specifically to married couples right now. Some of you are in this space, and some of you have a choice before you. And you look at your relationship right now, and you may be okay with your relationship right now. It may be okay. And for those of you who think your relationship is just okay, the question you're going to have is, do I want to see my relationship with my spouse turn into something beautiful or am I okay with okay? For you to be turned to something beautiful means that you're going to have to die to some things in you. And so you're going to have a choice. I'm going to maintain my will. I'm going to maintain what I want to do and maintain what I'm continuing to do in my marriage. And I'm going to continue to have an okay marriage. That is not what God wants for you. Some of you are just in a place that's hard. And the same goes for you. If you don't walk out of the space going, I want to be faithful to what God wants in my marriage or in my relationships, and I'm going to do everything I can in my part to do that, then this is going to not help you at all. And some of you right now, you've got wonderful relationships within your home. Your work's not done because it's not a perfect relationship. And so husbands, if you stop growing you're going to find challenges. Wives, if you stop growing, you're going to find challenges. Singles, if you stop growing in how you relate to other people, you're going to constantly see those challenges in your lives. And so we have to walk away with an understanding of what God is calling us to. And it's not just a knowledge-based desire. It's not just to grow in our understanding of things, but our grow in our acting of things. And we need the Spirit of God living in us to engage us in that. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 5. And this verse actually will be up on the screen, I believe. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. Paul says this in a sister letter of Ephesians to the people of Ephesus. Right before he says the exact same command that we read this morning, he says this. He says that he wants us to be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then Paul goes on to talk about wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Here's why this is important. We have to start first and foremost with the command that we are all to submit to one another. Before we can ever talk about submission and, and what it means within a marriage, we are to be submitting to, to one another in every single one of our relationships. This does not in any way, shape, or form have in mind some sort of subservient obedience, but a general rule and readiness to renounce one's own will for the sake of another person. I want to read that again, because when we think of submission, oftentimes within our culture, it's this idea that you become a doormat, and you just become kind of this, this servant to the person you're submitting to, and you just kind of you just serve them, and you just give of yourself to them all the time, and you just obey everything that they say. This is not what the Scripture has in mind. But the Scripture has a voluntary life, lifestyle of renouncing our own will for the sake of other people. This is 
brutally difficult in our day-to-day walks, isn't it? How many of you love to renounce your own will when you're relating with other people? You know why? Because you're always right. Like, can we just be honest? Like, inside of ourselves, like, aren't we always right? Like, we're right about how to do the dishes. We're right about how to vacuum the house. We're right about how to mow the lawn because, man, it better have lines in it, for goodness sakes, right? If it doesn't have lines in it, and they need to be diagonal or whatever, right? Like, we're right about everything. We're right about the way we should eat. We're right about the way we should talk. We're right about the way that we should do business. We're right about the way we should handle our money. We're right about the way that we should care for our homes or how we should watch TV. We're right about the way we should worship. We're right about the way that we should do communion. We're right about the way that we should dress when we go to church. We're right about everything. And so when it comes down to it, part of this whole problem is is this reality of pride in our lives where we look at the people around us and we say, I'm right and you're some shade of right sometimes, right? And so it creates this constant contention with one another. And Paul tells us, he's known, like, you're to be submitting to one another. You're to be renouncing your will for the sake of another person's all the time, in every relationship, especially within the body of Christ. This is really hard for us because it means that we have to humble ourselves and we have to believe that someone else has something to say to us that we need. Someone else may have a different perspective to hear than the one that we have on our own. Here's the thing. I have never met someone who naturally seeks to renounce their will for the sake of another person with a pure motive. Never. Have you ever seen a child do that? Like, sometimes you'll see it, but it's always out of a bad motive, right? It's a desire to avoid conflict or out of fear or some other reason, right? It's rarely out of a reason for love. Not naturally. And so for us to begin to see relationships restored, we need to be reminded that before we ever get to talking about wives submitting to their husbands, that we are to submit to one another. Which means it kind of starts with both men and women in that space. Like, you need to submit to one another. Then you get married, and now there's some roles within the marriage that we can discuss. So it starts there. But then it moves to Wives, submit to your husbands. I feel like I should just stop and pray right now. <laughs> like, I, I remember when I was reading through this, like, I, I got to this point where that word, it feels like this idea of even talking about that word feels like you're walking out in, like, a desert and you hear a rattlesnake. It's like, okay, like, something's going to bite me, right? Like, how am I going to say this and communicate this in a way that gets to what God actually intends? And, and so let me start with this. First and foremost, again, submission within the home does not mean that the woman should be quiet. It does not mean that she should be demeaned. It does not mean that she has no wisdom to give. It does not mean she does not have a voice within the marriage. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have a lot of good things to bring into the marriage. It doesn't have anything to do with her equality with the man because that is absolutely God-given. It has nothing to do with any of those things. So you could clap for that, right? Because the problem is, is that because of abuse of the idea of submission, that we had thrown the baby out with the bathwater, haven't we? And so we come to the idea of like, why does Paul say that wives should submit to their husbands? Well, here's the deal. Remember I said he's speaking to the fall. He's not speaking to the culture. He's speaking to the fall within women and to the fall within men when he's speaking into these contexts. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, God is communicating the curse that has come upon us. And this isn't something that God put upon us. This is something that is now in us, right? We were broken in that space. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and this should be on the screen as well. Speaking of women, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, there's brokenness in both of those statements. We'll get to the men here in just a second. 
But here we see that inside of women in particular, within the home, part of the fall that is there is this contrariness, this rubbing against the will of not wanting to be submissive. In other words, not wanting to renounce their will for the sake of their husbands, not wanting to renounce their will for the sake of the families. And that's hard to say, isn't it? But here's the deal. I would just say this. I'm right there with you, ladies. I don't, love this, I don't love the idea of submitting any more than you do. None of us do. And yet we all submit to Jesus, our head, don't we? And so when we think about this idea, and you feel within you when we start talking about this idea of submitting, and I'm going to talk about how this works itself out very practically, like we start to recoil because we have this view of like, man, I'm not going to submit to anybody. Like that's what the culture tells us all over the place. I submit to nobody. I'm not going to submit to anything or anyone. I'm not going to renounce my will to anyone in any way, shape, or form. And yet, when we look at Jesus, we see Jesus submitting in his relationship to the Father within the Trinity. And so submitting is not bad. Think about Jesus. Were Jesus the Son and the Father ever in terms of their ultimate desire, were they ever at odds with each other? No. They wanted to both, from the foundation of the earth, wanted to see people come to salvation and saving faith in and through what Jesus was about to do. And yet we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus is about to go to the cross, a beautiful picture of submission. They both want salvation, but Jesus says, is there any other way to accomplish this? than me doing this and what I'm about to do. And then he says immediately, not your will, but my will. Or not my will, but your will. I got that completely backwards. See what happens when you go away from your notes? Right? Not my will be done, but your will be done. You see what he's doing? He's renouncing his will for the sake of the fathers. Does this make Jesus less important in the Trinity? Do we ever see any idea where, where Jesus is demeaned in any manner, way, shape, or form within the Trinity? We would say absolutely not. And so women, when you think about what, how, what, what submission looks like within your home and what, what submission looks like within your lives, it's not in any way, shape, or form to mean that you should not speak your wisdom and speak your intent but at some point, there needs to be a place where decisions need to be made, and that is the head of the home that does that. And sometimes that means submitting to that. Now, you hope that you're never at odds with each other in the midst of those decisions. I'm going to talk about how that specifically plays itself out here in just a couple of minutes, but I want to first say this, that your submission to your husband shouldn't be for him, it should be for your love of the Lord. That's the source of how to do that. Your submission to your husband should be out of love for the Lord, not just for your love for him. And again, men, be careful because we're going to talk about us here in just a couple of moments. But I want to read something. I was um, given this by a friend of mine, I was praying about just an example because I said, man, I want to see how this works in home. I'm like, I am not a woman, and so I have no experience this and, and seen what this feels like. And, and it was so neat because as I was praying that, I had a sister who's in this congregation email me saying, I know where we're headed in Colossians, and I want to give you a testimony. And I was like, okay, spirit, we need to go through that. So I want to read you a testimony of a woman that was given here in the church to help us understand what what submission can look like. I trained in an era that women in medicine were increasing, but still a minority. Right or wrong, I was taught that as a female surgeon, I had to be better, be faster, be louder to gain the same respect afforded to my male colleagues. In those early years, I was very good at exerting authority and not as good at understanding how important self-denying love and submission are to surgery and to marriage. There is nothing more beautiful than an emergency surgery where each person is playing their vital role to the care of a patient. The surgeon, or the head, is submitting to the guidance of the anesthesiologist, 
who is monitoring the patient during the procedure. She is also carefully guiding the surgery by allowing the surgical, the surgical technologist to help and make the procedure a success. In the background of all of this is a circulating nurse carefully monitoring the whole situation and helping with urgent supplies or calling extra personnel when needed. Although it is my job to lead the room and ultimately to take responsibility for the outcome, it is also my job to allow and assist every care provider in the room to carry out their duty, to flourish in a common goal of the best outcome for the patient. When I'm at work, I'm in charge, and yet I work to be mutually submissive to the staff that are carrying alongside me. For me, this has been a picture, however imperfect, of how God meant our marriages and families to run. My husband is the head. Just like what I do daily at work, someone needs to make decisions and be responsible for the outcome of those decisions. But just like in surgery, he carefully gathers information and works to guide us in the common goal of a healthy family and relationships. If I do not submit to my husband's leadership in our home and fulfill my role as helper, the outcome will not be everything God designed it to be. I initially thought of submission as a display of weakness, but I have discovered no greater strength or peace can come from the following of the biblical role of wife submitting to her husband. No two marriages are alike, and mine certainly looks different than the one where the wife does not, does not work outside the home. So what does submission look like for us? When we experience the death of a child, I really struggled to remember the goodness of God. Submission meant going to church with my husband because he asked me to go. He knows me better than I know myself, and he, know, he knew I needed to be in the house of God with his people. Healing slowly came as I submitted to my husband's leadership. This week, I worked a lot of nights and I was exhausted. I wanted to run some errands and my husband wanted me to sleep. I wish I could say I immediately submitted to his leadership, but I, I can say I did after some grumbling and repenting. He knew what I needed, even though I thought there was something more urgent than rest. Submission for me also means that I speak so highly of my husband to anyone who will listen that he is regarded highly by all who know me, even if they do not know him. He has laid down his life for me in many ways because of the unique roles that God has called us to fulfill in our community, sacrificing in ways that many people do not ever see or understand. And there have been times in our marriage that people looking in from their perspective have said that I was not submissive because I have a different role in society, in our home, than many women in the church. It's hurt at times. But I've also come to look at my husband and look to my husband for affirmation and correction when needed and accept that all others do not have his view of my heart and our marriage. Submission is poorly understood in our culture, but it can be seen everywhere if you take the time to observe the workplace, the church, and the home. When it is carried out as God intended, it is a beautiful thing for a wife to submit to her husband and help him in his weakness as he protects hers. The world does not see a better picture of Christ's care for his church than a marriage displaying submission and self-denying love, and that is why it is under such intense attack by the enemy. I love this testimony, because here you've got a real person struggling with what does this look like. And here's the thing, like for us, ladies, like, for you, like in your marriages, you're called to speak your wisdom and to speak what God is leading you to say because God is doing tremendous work in you. He's, he is calling you in some beautiful and amazing ways and he is speaking to you in amazing ways and your husbands need your voice. Ladies, your employers need your voice. And so you are to speak that out and to give it. And, and practically within a home, and we're going to talk about how this works specifically, but a husband and a wife, when they're faced with a decision, say a decision like, how do I handle technology in the home with my kids? You're to come together and speak and to talk. Husbands desiring to pull information and to pull wisdom out of their wives. Wives giving that. And hopefully, because you're both on the same page with what you want to see God do, you end up in the same space. But if not, someone still has to make a decision in the end. And God has put that upon the husband. And we hope 
that it comes from a husband who has loved well. And this is where we move to the men in the room. Because men, we have to lead in love. We have to lead in love. And it's important for us to understand what God has called us to do as men. We're not to acquiesce in love. We're not to be passive in love. We're not to sit around and do nothing in love. We're not to play in love. Because the culture would say there's only two kinds of men. There's the abusive, ultra-masculine, patriarchal type of man who doesn't want to hear anything. And then there's the weak man who has no wisdom whatsoever and does nothing but goof around and play all day long. There is another man we should all look to for our example, and his name is Jesus. He's the example for us as men. Not weak, not without wisdom, a leader. But how did Jesus lead? See, so many times when we talk about the idea of submission in our culture and in our day and our age, we talk about it in a negative space because men have viewed that as a way to justify them acting like kings in their homes where their women are supposed to serve them. And that is horribly broken and sinful and wrong. We are not called to be kings sitting in our homes expecting our family to serve us and do what we say. No, no, no. We are to be the kind of leaders that Jesus was who stepped off his throne and washed the feet of his disciples. Men, if we are putting our self-interests, our career, our dreams, our hearts, our desires above our wives, you and I are in the wrong And that is not love. Love is a dying to ourselves for the sake of our spouses. And you say, well, I'm not married. Love is a dying to yourself for the sake of your friend. A dying uh, to yourself to the sake or for the sake of your coworker or for the sake of your neighbor or for the sake of your fellow student. Like this this is important for all of us who are called to love as Christ has loved the church. See, both men and women are supposed to submit, and both men and women are to love as Christ loved. But because of our sin, men want to rule, not to serve. They want to rule. And Jesus says, no, you're to die to yourself. You're to submit to one another. You're to love by giving of yourself for one another. Jesus gives us the perfect example when he died on the cross for the sake of the church, where he is given for himself, he has given us himself in every way, shape, or form. And as men, we are to lay ourselves down in the same type of way in every component of our homes. And then and only then can we begin to see restoration in our lives. We are to be husbands. And and one of the things we talked about in this, and it's actually up there, um, when we were talking to our our teaching team, was where does the term husband come from? It comes from the idea of a husbandry. Everybody want to know what husbandry is? Some of you farmers were from Kansas, right? Like it's this idea of stewarding and tending and caring. That's what we're supposed to be for our wives to steward and care and tend for them, to, to cultivate, to make sure that they flourish and that our kids flourish, to never be harsh with them. I mean, if you are harsh with your wives, you have never a justification for being harsh. No matter what they say or don't say, no matter what they don't do or do do, we are called to love, to never be harsh. And when we are harsh, as we oftentimes are, in our brokenness, we are to immediately repent of it, not give excuse for it. And that's hard. It was hard last night when I was sitting at the dinner table, and my daughter did something that got on my nerves, and I snapped at her. And two minutes later, I had to come around and say, honey, I'm sorry for being harsh. That is not the way we are called to live as men. It's not the way we are called to rule on our homes. We are to be considerate. We are to treat our wives with respect 
as co-heirs, as gracious gifts that God has given to us and that God has redeemed to himself. And we're to see the people around us as such. We're to be obedient to God, seeking his goals in our lives and in our marriage first and foremost. So here's the thing. When I I thought about this, I, I know that there's a lot of marriages that struggle in these dynamics all the time. And a couple of things I, I want to just point out in this. Number one is that as you think about your marriage, don't think about how good your spouse is at doing these things. Think about how good you are. Do you look like Jesus in your marriage? Do you look like Jesus in your marriage? Husbands, Jesus never says, love your wives as long as they're submissive and as long as they're doing the things that you think that they should be doing. He never says that. He says, love them no matter what. And you know what? Jesus does the same thing for us, doesn't he? Praise God, the love that Jesus has for us isn't dependent upon what we do. And so you don't have ever a reason to say, well, I acted like this because she did this. Wives, same thing. You are to submit to your husbands regardless of how they act. And we're not to be looking at at, at their husbands saying they're to change. Now, I want to make this very, very clear. If you're in an abusive situation, that is not saying you should stay there. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about relatively healthy situations. If a man in a relationship, any relationship, is being abusive in any way, shape, or form, you should take your kids and step away for a season and get counsel. That is never an excuse. There is never an excuse for that. So please don't hear submission ever be justification for a man acting in anger and harshness in any way, shape, or form. Is, can I, is that clear? Like I want to be very clear about that. But we're not to be looking at the other person as to whether or not we should be acting in the way that we should be called to act. We are to act the way that God has called us to regardless. And I know these things are hard. I want to give us, and I am going to jump back into my notes here because I think these are really important for us. In in seasons where things are good, what can we do to cultivate our marriages? So if you're in this space and you're like, I just want to practically understand how can this work out in my life? Here's some things and some steps that you can do, and not just within your marriages, but within your relationships with friends and other people around you that can help make sure that you have a good foundation. So when times are good and when things are good, you need to take times to ask questions. What are your hopes? What are your dreams? What do you want to see happen in our family? What, do you, what does it look like for a biblical family to exist? Just take the time to talk to one another and, and tend and make sure that, you know, husbands, ask your wives, like, do you feel tended? Do you feel cared for? Hus- wives, ask your husbands, do you feel respected? Do you feel like I'm helping you the way that you need to be helped, right? Remember, that's one of your roles, to help us goofy guys, because we need it. And so just ask, and do that in times when things are good. Do it when you're sitting across the table for one another at a, at a meal or at a restaurant, Second, take time to listen. Be slow to speak and even slower to defend yourself. If in a moment your spouse or a brother or sister comes and says, hey, like, yes, this is an area where it would really help me if you could grow in this, don't just defend yourself. Listen to their hearts and don't jump to justifying your actions, but truly hear and understand where they're coming from and be willing to change. Third, Turn off your screens. This is ruining relationships. Because instead of us seeking to get to know one another face to face and getting to dig into each other's lives, we're looking at our screens and then we have very limited engagement with each other and our sin and our brokenness that's inside both men and women and in all of our relationships can just flourish instantaneously. Turn your screens off. Put your phones down. Look at each other in the face. Look at how your words affect your spouse. Look at their expression. Did you hurt them and react to that? When you're in a co-working situation and you speak out and you look at someone's face and you see hurt in their face, then stop and put an end to that 
and repent of it. You can't see what's going on on a person's face if you're staring at a screen all the time. Put the screens down. Pray together. Go on a walk. Be intentional. If you don't throw those things in a drawer, they will rule your day. They will. Maybe Sundays become a day to just put it all away so you can focus on the relationships and tending those relationships in your home. Some of you kids are like, no, my parents are going to put that rule in place. Next, do something out of the norm. Take a road trip. Go on a date. Sit down on the deck. Drink coffee. Just talk to each other. Next, make plans. Talk about upcoming decisions about school, money, education, vacations. Talk about decisions with your friends, where you're going to go for school, where you're going to go uh, for your next career decision. It takes the pressure and the stress off so that you've already made some decisions before you're in the heat of it. It's all really easy to make decisions in the heat of something, isn't it? Like, no. It's hard. And so if you think about these things beforehand and you make plans, it can do tremendous help for your relationships. Talk about how you're going to fight and how you're going to disagree. When you're not disagreeing, and hopefully you won't disagree about how you should fight, but nonetheless, right? Like as a married couple, sit down and say, like, how, should, how can I express when I'm frustrated? And do that when you're not frustrated. Make plans. Next, what about when there's conflict? What, do we, what about when you're in the midst of a heated moment and you're you're, you're finding this tension and this contention within a situation between a, a brother or sister in Christ or a loved one or a spouse. What do we do in those moments? One, state your heart. Most people tell us what we want, but we don't say why. Tell why you're, you care about these things. You know, I don't know. You think about why you want to remodel the house. You may have a legitimate reason for that. Communicate your heart behind why you want to do this or why you want to do that, or why you don't want to do this. It's an important component. Next is seek to hear. I mean, if your wife tells you that they don't like it when you use that tone, seek to hear them. And hearing means you change. That's important, isn't it? Like, you're not actually hearing somebody if you don't seek to make efforts to change your behavior for their good. Seek to hear and speak your heart. Women, if you don't like something your husband does, tell them. Communicate it to them. And men, seek to hear. Men, if you don't like something that, that your wife is doing, tell her. And women, seek to hear. If you're in the relationship with someone in the church and there's contention, you don't like something they're doing, share your heart. And seek to hear when someone tells you their struggles. Next, restate what you think they hear. So, best thing I ever learned was when I'm in the conflict with my wife or anybody else, and I was taught this by a brother or sister in Christ, I don't even remember when, but was when I'm in the midst of conversation and all that stuff is flying at each other, to stop and say, here's what I think you're saying. Have you ever done that? And oftentimes you find out like, wow, I clearly wasn't hearing you right. right? And so it gives the person another opportunity to come around and say, no, that wasn't what I was saying at all. That wasn't what my intent was. And so let me come back and give it another try. Say what you think you heard instead of just assume that you're right. Restate what you think you heard. Align your goals to Jesus. You know, interestingly enough, if we are all underneath the head of the church, Jesus then our goals should be aligned with his, shouldn't they? Which means my goals should be the same as my wife's goals when it comes to so many aspects of our lives. Now that way play itself out in a whole slew of different ways. And this is why when um, it comes to disciplining our kids, we have the same goal to see our kids grow up in the word of the Lord. But there's times where I say, honey, what's your wisdom in how to engage in this? and how to discipline our kids in this, because she sees things in a totally different perspective than I do. But we need to align our goals with Jesus first. Otherwise, our goals will be self-centered, not Christ-centered. 
And when you have two people who have self-centered goals, then they're going to have a lot of trouble finding compromise and, and coming together on the same page. Last, always resolve your conflicts. So many conflicts are never resolved. We just get quiet. And we just start to live in the same place with each other. Conflicts within the home, conflicts within our workplace, we are to resolve our conflicts. If you are in a place where you have experienced pain from a spouse or a friend or a coworker, and you choose to forgive, then forgive. Never bring it up again. But if you can't, resolve the conflict. Go and address the conflict. Fix the conflict so that there can be peace and unity within that space. These are just some practical things. But like I said, we're not going to get anywhere by just learning more information. And every relationship has different components within it where some or one side is more obedient to what Christ has called them to do than the other, and then at times the other side is more obedient to what Christ has called them to do, and we're kind of always vacillating in that within the church. Our goal is to live in accordance with the vision for relationships that God has given to us, and that is exemplified in Jesus Christ. And so in all of this I say at the end of the day, be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus. So many marriages fall apart because one or both of them are not just trying to be like Jesus. So many relationships of friends break apart because one or both of them are refusing to just be like Jesus. So many relationships within the workplace fall apart because one or both of them are just refusing to be like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you just go over and over and over and over again and asking the Lord, what would you have me do? What would you do in this space? That is a huge step towards relational healing. The other step is this. If you are in this space this morning and you recognize that you have failed in these things, you need to repent. And you need to confess. Because there can't be healing if you just forget it and sweep it under the rug. Scripture speaks that if we hold these things inside of us and we refuse to engage these and acknowledge these, you're not going to find relational healing. In fact, what's going to happen is you're going to rot on the inside. Scripture says your bones will be crushed. But confess it, I'm sorry, goes a really long ways. Especially if I'm sorry is followed up with a pursuit of Jesus and Christ-likeness in your marriage or in your relationship. So here's how I want to end. Before we move to communion, I want us to have a time of reflection. If you're single in this space, I want you to just take a moment to pray and ask the Lord in your relationships where you can grow, where you can love better, where you can seek the good of others better, where you can seek to renounce your own will better. If there's areas where you're failing, then you confess that to the Lord and lay it down before him. If there is conflict before, between you and another, then lay that down before the Lord this morning. The scripture is very clear that we are not to come to the Lord's table with their conflict between brother and sister. And so maybe here in the next couple of minutes, you need to stand up and go talk to somebody. I want to give you freedom to do that in this time or maybe during their time of singing here in just a moment. But I want to encourage you to pray. And I'm going to ask husbands and wives in this room, I'm going to ask you to pray with your spouse right now. Praying that God would give healing and restoration, that God would bring help, that he would help change your desires, Maybe a time where you can sit and thank God for your spouse. But I want to encourage you to turn to one another right now, and I would do it with my wife if she was standing up here, and just pray for a moment with one another. And just take a minute to just do something that maybe is one of the most important things you can do to bring reconciliation in your marriage, which is to pray together. 
And I would encourage us to do that right now in this room. And so I'm just going to lead us off in a prayer, and we're just going to have some time of silence. And I want to encourage husbands and wives to pray together out loud. And if you're single, pray in your own heart uh, towards your own relationships and, and where God can bring healing to those spaces because God wants us to flourish in our relationships. And it's our sin that keeps us from doing so. And so we need to lay those things down before the Lord. Father, I pray that I was somewhat faithful this morning to communicate what you wanted to communicate to your people. These are really hard things for us. Because as I jokingly said, we're all right all the time. But the truth of the matter is, is that that pride is in every single one of us. It's in me. It's in me when I deal with the people of your church. It's in me when I deal with people who are not in your church. It's in me when I deal with my kids. It's in me when I deal with my wife. But you've called us as your people to submit ourselves to one another, to lay our pride down, to humble ourselves in our relationships. I pray, Father, that right now by your spirit that that that's where this would start, that we would seek to live lives where we renounce our will, first for yours and second for the will of others and for the good of others. I pray, Father, this morning that you would begin healing in so many broken and difficult relationships. That we might have a new vision for what these relationships are supposed to look like. And so, Father, in the next few moments, I just pray that that you would lead us by your spirit in in a time of prayer and confession and self-examination, that we would look at our own hearts, not the hearts of other people, that, Father, we would pray for those other people who are failing and who are struggling, that you would open their eyes and soften their hearts, and that all of it would be done out of our love for you. So just encourage you to take a couple moments and just pray.